Joel chapter 2 this morning, book of Joel in the Old Testament, chapter number 2. I got that right. I said Old Testament for Joel, not New Testament. <laughs> Joel chapter 2. In verse number 1, after a series of very stinging rebukes in chapter 1, wherein the Lord through His prophet explained to the nation why they were ripe for judgment. There's a warning in verse 1, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. And then verses 2 through 11, further warning, explanation as to why the judgment of God is about to fall upon the nation of Israel. Uh, Israel is not America. America is not Israel. The Bible has, has nothing directly to say about the United States of America. But it is safe to say this, if God would bring sore judgments upon His chosen nation, how how much should we understand and believe that he would bring judgment upon a two-bit outfit like America if we followed in the footsteps of those who were richly blessed as Israel was, richly blessed as we are, and yet turned our backs upon, in fact, shook our fist in the face of the God who had so blessed us. Without going into detail, because uh, all of you would have your own views on the details, and, and we, we don't want to squabble about that. We could make a list this morning of things that are terribly wrong in our nation. Everything on that list would be the same. It would be an act of defiance on the part of people against something written in the Word of God. And all of your national ills are spiritual ills. They're not social ills, they're not economic ills, they're not, uh, they're not uh, racial ills, they are spiritual ills. There are people living in a land that has the opportunity to know better, living in a land that once knew better, that has now decided we will not have this God and this Bible reign over us. And with each new step they take in a direction of rebellion, they're not rebelling against founding fathers or colonial principles or, or his, historic social norms. They're rebelling against thus saith the Lord. My concern as a minister is not with the Congress, it's not with the Supreme Court, it's not with the House of Representatives, it's not with Hollywood, it's not with the school system. My concern is with the people who profess to know these things and are not alarmed. The Lord should sound an alarm and the alarm is sounded and no one responds. The Lord says, the inhabitants of the land should tremble, and the inhabitants of the land don't tremble. They read the headlines, they discuss the decay, they, they fear the ruin and the violence and the crime and, and the inflation, but 
It seems that those who know the Lord as surely as those who don't know the Lord have, have left him out of the equation. You're not going to fix your home by talking about what's wrong with it. You're going to fix your home by doing what the Bible says. You're not going to fix America by talking about what's wrong with it. You're going to fix it by doing what the Bible says. If, if you have a problem in your life, you're not going to fix it by writing a list of your problems and, and sitting on the ash heap and saying, woe is me, I have all these problems. You're going to fix them by doing what the Bible says. And the Lord sent a prophet to a nation that was in a really, really bad way and told him to blow a trumpet, sound an alarm, and see if anyone will tremble and will respond. And the response is found, or, or the call to respond is found in verses 12 through 21, and that's our passage for this morning. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me, with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. I, I wonder this morning how many murders it will take, how many assaults it will take, how many molested children will it take, how many battered wives will it take, how many broken and abandoned homes will it take before someone is concerned enough to turn their heart to God? I've watched no debates. I've listened to no speeches. I have uh, read text messages and, and notices from no candidate, but I don't need to. There's not a man, not a woman running for any office in our land that can fix the gigantic mess that we're in. And I wonder, not, not the world, I wonder not the street gangs, I wonder not, the, not the, the moguls and the billionaires and the Wall Street brokers, I wonder when the people of God are going to turn their hearts to God. The Lord can help. The children sang about just like in, on Passover night in Egypt's land, God brought a people out of slavery and bondage and led them into liberty and freedom in one night when they turned to him in their hearts and obeyed his word. This, this thing is not beyond God's ability to fix. The nation, your home, your life, it's not beyond God's ability to fix it. But until there is a turning to God with all our heart, he sits and waits and listens to us complain about how bad things are, not forcing himself upon us, not intruding into our lives where he's not welcome, but ever and always willing to help when he's wanted. The call to fasting in verse number 12 implies that as bad as things are in the nation, they're not missing meals. He said he would smite the crops in chapter 1. He said he would smite the vineyards in chapter 1. He said he would send locusts to devour their food stores in chapter number 1. And yet, they're still having breakfast. They're still having supper. You can't fast. You can't voluntarily skip a meal unless you have a meal to skip. And the Lord is calling upon these people to deny themselves 
comfort, to deny themselves even that which they need, to show God the sincerity of their desire for Him, for His help. Job said in, in the midst of all of his troubles, he, he spoke in God's direction, I've desired thy word more than my necessary meat. I need people say, well, you need to eat. You need the word of God. Well, you know, you got to eat. No, you got to have God. <laughs> and so these people, they, they fasted and, and says with weeping and with mourning. And would you agree with me today? Would you agree with me that as our country looks at riots and looting and shootings and stabbings and mass killings and I don't see anybody weeping. I don't see anybody mourning, not, not the immediate family members who lose loved ones in these acts of violence, they're mourning, but God's people from border to border should be mourning. God's people from sea to sea should be shedding tears before God, begging Him to help. Look, this thing is hanging by a thread, and that thread is, is not too strong. And yet we just go about our days as though reading the headlines and forwarding the news items that shock us the most is going to have any impact upon the condition of things. God sent his prophet to a nation that was reeling on the brink of destruction and said, would you see if you could get them to be genuinely concerned about how far they are from me? Verse 13, rend your heart, not your garments. Turn to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. God says to these men, these women, to this nation, outward displays might fool and impress other men other women, but I'm not buying it. When you tear your clothing and you howl and wail, but I look in your heart, you don't want me. You want trouble to go away, but you don't want me to come in its place. You want bad times to vanish, but you don't want the source of all blessing to take the throne in your heart. The Lord said, look, I need more than a ceremony. I need more than an outward display. Any more than two days of TV produced prayers after 9-11. I need the nation to genuinely and truly turn to God. When we have one of these mass shootings, we gather in the dark and light a candle and stand around humming some secular tune because... God forbid we should pray, somebody there might have a different God. God forbid we should call on the Lord, it might offend someone. So we just stand in the darkness with a candle in our hand and do nothing. The Lord said, how does that help? We go into a church building and we link hands with infidels and atheists and, and unbelievers of all stripes and varieties and hope for the, for the cosmic glow to land upon us. And the Lord says to me as an individual, to me as the head of a family, to me as the leader of a congregation, 
God's gracious. The heavens aren't gracious. God is gracious. The wind and the trees aren't gracious. God is merciful. Mother Earth isn't merciful. If you're going to get some help, you've got to turn to someone who can really help. If you want to be rescued, you've got to turn to somebody who actually can rescue you. And your nation is so afraid of offending people who don't believe in God that they offend God. And then they wonder why God doesn't help them. Have a blessed day. Isn't that nice? Who's going to bless me? You, the sun, the moon, the stars, the gopher turtles? How about God bless you? Well, that's, uh, that's, a little, that's a little fanatical. You come a long way when saying God bless you is over the line. <laughs> the Bible says in verse number 14, Who knoweth? Who knoweth? If he were to turn and repent and leave a blessing after him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Can I say this to you in all honesty? I've spent nearly 50 years of my life now reading the Bible. I've spent nearly 50 years of my life now studying and trying to communicate the Word of God. And I'm going to be as honest with you as I can be this morning. I don't know if God will answer any of your prayers in the way that you prayed them. That's what the, the Holy Spirit sent God's prophet to tell God's people he might answer and he might not. But you're out of options. You're out of options. The only hope you've got is turning to God. Come on, I, I don't care how involved you are. I, I really don't. It's, it's your business, not mine. But do you really honestly at this point believe that there is any national hope to be found in a political party? You can't believe that. Do you really truly think there's any hope to be found nationally by wishing, hoping, thinking nice thoughts? Look, I don't know that God will save America. I don't know that God will bring revival into your home. I don't know that after all that I've done or you've done, that God will pour out his blessings upon our lives. But I know this, nobody else will. Nobody else can. And Joel is sent to be honest with these people and say, you might have crossed God's line. You might have gone so far that, that this thing, there's no turning back from this promised judgment. But if we are, if there's any hope at all of being saved, it's in the grace and mercy of God. And shouldn't we at least try it? I have said since the moral majority that wasn't moral and wasn't a majority got its start, all that time and all that energy trying to convert people from voting one way to voting another way is contrary to the evangelistic call that God gave to his church. You're not supposed to turn from right wing to left wing or left wing to right wing. You're supposed to turn from sin to Christ. Amen. 
God is laying out before His people, and I would say by application to our people today, do you think doing the same things over and over again that didn't work and haven't worked are going to work? You've got to turn to me. You've got to try me. If this strikes too close to your home, I, I don't know it, and so it's not my intention to do so. But there's not one place from Genesis 1-1 to the close of Revelation 22 where God told you in your time of need to turn to a psychiatrist. He told you to turn to the Word of God and sit under the preaching of the Word of God and put faith in what God wrote in this book. And the more people turn to shrinks and grief counselors and, 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 and psychologists and psychiatrists, the more people are medicated, the more people are suicidal, the more people are killing other people. Come on, we've tried that for two generations now. It's a disaster. God said, it might not be too late. I, I might be able to help you if you'd show me you were sincere. Look at verse 16. So an alarm is sounded, an assembly is called, and he says in verse 16, gather the people. Gather the people. You know, one, one thing is, that's holding back any hope of God rescuing America is half the people that say they're Christians won't go to church. I got my own religion. Well, your religion stinks. Because it violates the Word of God. Every saved person is commanded by God to assemble with other Christians on the first day of every week. So this idea that we got all these little, you know, people that, that you know, they're in social media groups and Facebook groups and, and chat groups and, and my own little group. And somehow you're, you're the true light and you're, you're the one that's going to bring revival to America. No, you're not. Lord said, Old Testament, I knew through his prophets and through his preacher, gather the people. Yes. Sanctify the congregation. Yes, right. Not the individual man, woman, family, the congregation. Set them apart. Come out of the world at least for an hour and get with God's people. Assemble the elders. Now watch. Assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breasts, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber, and the bride out of her closet. When a people get serious about God, when they get serious about wanting God's help, there's no longer excuses. I can't assemble, I'm old. The prophet said, tell the elder to show up. I can't assemble, I have children. God said, tell the mothers and fathers to assemble. I can't assemble, I've got a nursing baby. God said, tell the mothers to carry their babies to the assembly. I can't assemble, you can expect me to be there, I just got married. So you're gonna start your marriage by forsaking God in the house of God? You're going to start your child's life by forsaking God in the house of God. You're going to get to the end of your days when you're going to need God's help just to get out of bed and you're going to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. 
Lord said, if you want my grace and my mercy to rescue your nation, your home, your life from the mess it's in, stop with your excuses for not being assembled together with the congregation and get there and seek God. They take these polls, 55% of the people in America are, are evangelical Christians or, or, uh, or sacramental Christians. You think 55% of Deland's in church today? Most churches, 55% of their membership's not even in church. Much less the town. I don't know why God doesn't bless America again. Because you don't want God. You want Batman and Superman, Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny and... Amen. Amen. Well, I can't come to church. Really? Where'd, where'd you take your kids yesterday? I can't come to church. I got babies. Where'd you go with your babies yesterday? I can't come to church. I'm, I, I, I was preaching this meeting and, and after the service I went to, to Walmart to get some supper. No, nothing healthy at Walmart. I read the news, nothing healthy anywhere. Anyway, I went to Walmart. And there's a guy in a Walmart who's a member of the church where I just preached, but he, he wasn't there. And he tried to go to another aisle, but I'd already seen him. And so when he went to the other aisle, I went to the other aisle so we could have some fellowship. And, and we had a close encounter of the third kind. And, and I, I, I said, oh. Missed you at church tonight. He said, yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't go out. I've got a medical procedure tomorrow. <laughs> but you're out. <laughs> you know, there's always an excuse. There's always something. There's people here today with cancer. There's people here today hurting so bad they can't hardly sit. There's people here today have some big things coming up in their life this week, but they're here. You know why? Because they want God's grace and they want God's mercy. And he said, he said, I, I, I might, I might, I might bestow it upon you, but you're going to have to gather and sanctify and be part of the congregation. Verse 17 Verse 17, let the, the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Weep? Why don't we put on some shorts and, and start a band? Why don't we get some dancing girls and laugh our way straight into destruction? Don't you think if, if, if God's ministers aren't serious about Christianity, you probably aren't going to have anybody else serious about it? Right. Don't you think if the people God put in, in front of a congregation to represent Him are, want, want to give off a vibe that God's cool down at the beach under the palm trees, that we're probably not going to get a lot of real genuine, sincere, sold out, dedicated Christianity? Come on, your nation is just about gone. Do we really need a picnic, God? I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to be mean. Lord said to these priests, you guys need to start crying. You guys need to start pleading. You guys need to be humble before the Lord, not defying Him. 
Out of what Bible would you get the idea that it represents God to try and be exactly identically like the world? Somebody's not reading this book. Bible says in verse number 17, let the priest, the minister of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? I believe this chapter teaches it's time for religious leaders to stop promoting a religion that seeks to embrace infidels. I, I, I don't know how people look at America if they have any knowledge at all of world history and religion and think that you're going to keep coming to church like this and enjoying this life when you've got hundreds of thousands of members of a religion that delights in killing Christians and killing Jews marching in your streets with your media cheering them on. You, you understand how close you are to waking up in a country you don't recognize and one that will not let you do what you're doing today? And what are the churches doing? Buying a better light show. Spending more money on a sound system than on missions. Do you understand what the Lord's saying here? They shouldn't look at Christianity, these other religions, and say, where's their God? And I, can I be specific with you? Can I be real specific with you? If you lived in Saudi Arabia or Iran or Iraq or Kuwait or Yemen, and you looked at a country that claims to be Christian and you saw this sewer, would you want our God? No, no, wait. How do the ministers of our country look at the sewer and say, let's make our church like that? So those people will feel at home when they come to our churches. Your Lord said, I'm going to help you, but I can't help you when you're doing that. You've got to turn to me, not reinvent me, not redefine me. I made you in my image. I don't want you making me in your image. Verse 18, you say, this sounds so mean. I sound mean. Have you seen what's happening in your cities? Yeah. Seen what's happening in your subways? Have you seen what's happening in your, in your housing developments? I'm mean. Wake up. Wake up. We need God, people. Verse 18, then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. When God sees the heart is true, there's hope he will respond. 
The eagle flies. We're proud of our nation. We're proud of our land. I'm a, I'm a proud this. I'm a proud that. You know what God says? I'm looking for a people that wants pity. Have pity on me. Okay, so, so oh, you young guys that stumbled in here today just happened to show up in church today. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. But behind your flag and your guns and your muscles and your beer and, and your America first and all the rest of that, if you're too proud to get on your knees first thing in the morning and say, Lord Jesus Christ, you're the best thing ever happened to me. Help me to live a life that honors you. You're on your own. With your flag and your guns and your muscles and your beer and your truck, and all, you're, you're on your own. I'm telling you, it's going to take more than your muscle to pull this thing out of the, out of the sewer that it's in. It's going to take God. God said, I'm looking for a little humility. We fought a world war. My father fought in it. Many of your fathers fought in it. Uncles fought in it. You know what was happening while those boys were in the Pacific? What was happening while those boys were in, in Europe? Our churches were packed full of people begging God to help. And ever since then, we've sent boys off to war, and we haven't packed the churches people praying, and we've not won a war since. All your muscle and all your technology and all your planes and all your bombs and all... If you don't have the help of God, yeah. you're on your own. Yeah. And on your own, it doesn't end well. Doesn't end well. Got a good career, got a good job, got a good education, make good pay, got a good paycheck. You know how many, you know how many poems have failed with all that going for them? That money won't buy you peace. That money won't buy you joy. That success won't buy you happy. You need God. God said, I'm looking for a people that, that I can have pity upon, not people that are flexing their muscles and telling me I don't, I don't need them, they don't need me. Verse 19, Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make your approach among the heathen. Isn't that great? Now, this national promise to one nation, but it's a Bible principle. Verse 20 says, but I, I will remove far from you the northern army. I will drive him into the land, into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Here's the last thing I'm going to say on the negative side and then I'll drive home the positive side for you. You know what our problem is? Sin doesn't stink. Sinners don't stink. Wicked, depraved things don't stink. You know what the Lord said? That sexual perversion, to me, it stinks. You hold your nose and watch their movies. That wife swapping, shacking up, business, to me it stinks. You'll hold your nose and buy their records. That rejection of the Word of God, that rebellion against holiness and righteousness and truth, 
To me, it stinks. You'll hold your nose and go to a carnal compromise in church if you go to one at all. You know what the Lord said? When you get over COVID and get your sense of smell back, I can help you. But I'm, I, I'm serious. Things that used to stink in your country have been perfumed and cologned. And the Christians have been so influenced by their culture and so little influenced by their Bible that they've come to tolerate stinky, nasty, smelly things. God said, if you'd assemble, if you'd get in a congregation, if you'd hear a prophet preach the Word of God, you'd get your sense of smell back. Every year, every good church loses one family, two families, because their sons and daughters decide to do stinky things. And instead of seeking God, mom and dad buy a clothespin and put it on their nose so they can hang out with their rebel kids. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Now, here's what I want. Look at, look at verse number. Look at verse number 13. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, repenteth him of the evil. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? Look at, look at verse number 17. The Lord is jealous for his land and, and, and will pity his people. Isn't that wonderful? Look at verse 19. I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. Praise the Lord. Look at verse number 20. Because he hath done great things. Verse 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. People are so confused about love today, they, they don't even know what, lo, what love is when they see it. So, so I'm going I'm to explain the love, the love of God to you, and maybe it'll help you see that I'm, I'm not as mean as I sound. I love my wife. If I see her holding your hand, I will not like you. I love my wife. If I find out she's getting sweet little notes from you, we got a problem. You know why? I'm jealous. I don't want 50% of her love. I don't want 60% of her love. I don't want 90% of her love. I don't want her love 360 days a year and five days a year she slips off with you. Not that I don't like you. Go get your own wife. (laughs) I love her, so I don't want her heart divided. I want all of her heart. It's jealousy. Love without jealousy, jealousy without love, something's messed up. Do you understand when God says these things, it's because he loves his people. I don't want to share you with the heathen. I don't want you to love me Sunday and have a boyfriend on Monday through Saturday. I want all of your heart. 
You see what he says? I'm, I'm not saying these things out of anger and cruelty. I'm saying these things out of jealousy. The, these poor watchtower people, back when they knocked on doors, they, they'd show you one verse out of context, say, well, God's only name is Jehovah, which isn't what the verse says. His name only is Jehovah. Nobody else has that name. But the Bible says God, whose name is Jealous, with a capital J. God's so jealous, it's how He identifies Himself. Meaning what? I love you so much, I don't want your divided affection, I want it all. And here's what I'd tell you as we head down the home stretch. If my wife gave me all her heart, even if I wanted to, I couldn't meet her every need and make her life absolutely blessed. I'd try, but I'm a sinner come short of the glory of God, and the same with you. But the Lord's asking you to enter into a relationship with someone who absolutely is willing and absolutely capable of satisfying every longing of your heart and loving you with an absolute pure heart fervently forever. He's not asking you to trust somebody that's going to let you down. He's asking you to trust somebody who's the only one who won't let you down. He's not asking you to trust somebody who'll be one more disappointment. He's asking you to trust someone who will never, ever disappoint you. God is not desiring to destroy this people. He's desiring that this people be willing to let him bless them. But they're going to have to assemble with weeping and with sorrow and and turn from stinky things and abandon their devotion to other gods, real or imagined, and give him all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. He's worthy of it. He's deserving of it. And here's what I'd ask of you. You could come forward at an invitation. You could pray a prayer and mean it and then walk out the door and it kind of slips away. I, I get that. I'm not opposed to that. But I'd ask you to pray this way. God, next time I'm complaining about the government, you've shown me what to do about it. Next time I'm talking about the condition of America, you've shown me what to do about it. Next time I lift up some utterance or have some conversation about I can't believe they're doing that and I can't believe they're doing that, would you ask God to remind you he told you what to do about it? Come before him with weeping and sorrow and fasting and sincere prayers that your life would be right. You can't fix the town council. You <laughs> can't fix the governor's mansion. You can't fix the court system. Could God fix you? Your heart, your life, your home, your family? Be a great start. 
Then a bunch of people who put God first would assemble together and congregate together and together we would seek the Lord and, and obey the Lord. And, and maybe a, a spark, maybe a light, maybe something begins to, to burn that'll turn back this darkness in our land. That's the way God said to do it. Not by stuffing ballot boxes, but by filling our hearts with true, genuine love for God. Say, what do you think I happened? Don't know. Lord said, prophet said, he might help you. He might not. But nothing else is going to help. Nothing else is going to help. I don't know if America's too far gone, but I know your family's not. I know your life is not. Be hard for God to fix America if America's not willing. But He could fix your family if your family's willing. He could fix your life if you're willing. I believe that. He's done it for thousands. He'll do it for thousands more if you'll let Him have His way. I would urge you in a, in a nation that just doesn't seem to take anything seriously to get serious about God. Get serious about your relationship with God. He's sure worth it. Christian life's sure worth it. May the Lord help us. Heavenly Father, please bless your word to our hearts. We've just taken time out of our busy, busy lives to consider some very serious matters this morning. I pray, Lord, that these things have found a place in our heart. will have an effect upon us, a lasting effect. We thank you for caring enough about us. Give us your word. Show us the way to live. Thank you for being jealous Lord, to think that out of all the things you created, what you desire is to have a relationship with us. It's really amazing. Pray God we'd have the same desire. Blessing the invitation now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.